0: What does the word church mean? The word church in our Bibles is, is translated from the Greek word ecclesia, as we, we may know. The Greek word ekklesia uh, is from, comes from two words originally. The word ek which means to come out of. Uh, we know words like exegesis maybe where you're drawing meaning out of text. Ek and the word kaleo which is to call. And so the, an ekklesia back in the day was a group of people who were called out of another Group, if you like, and that's the way that the word ecclesia is used in the Septuagint, for example. The Septuagint is the the uh, translation of the Old Testament, which was originally mainly written in Hebrew, re- translated into Greek uh, two or three centuries before um, the first century. In the Septuagint, the word ecclesia is frequently used for the Israelites who were called out of other nations. They were an ecclesia, but by the time of the New Testament some of the Greek words and so on, they'd they'd been through some semantic developments and so on, and the word ecclesia in the first century just meant a mob of people, basically, an assembly, a group. But the way that it's used in the New Testament is it's quite specific it's used i looked it up it's used 114 times in the new testament the word ecclesia and 109 of those 114 times it's used specifically for an assembly or a community of god's people so believers so the word ecclesia the word church means a group of believers that's what it means the greek word In the Bible, the word ecclesia is used to describe the coming together of God's people. I think it's a very hard concept to to get your head around. That's what it means. Usually, uh, I've got pictures here, by the way, of um, just some of the churches that we've visited and been a part of and so on. Uh, This is a little church up in the, the mountains. The word church. Uh, is usually used in the Bible to refer to a group of Christians in one particular locale. So there are churches, some uh, passages there. There are churches that met in houses, uh, Romans 16 verse 5, greet also the church in their house, So, says house churches. First Corinthians 16, 19, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets the ecclesia, that meets at their house. So very often the word church, it's used for a group, a mob of Christians who met at someone's house. Sometimes there are churches in cities. So Paul's letters, for example, uh, to, to the church, the ecclesia of God in Corinth. First Thessalonica 1 verse 1 to the church, the ecclesia of God in uh, of the Thessalonians. And there's a church, uh, sometimes the word ecclesia is used for a, a church in one particular area. So Acts 9 verse 31, then the church throughout Judea, Galea, and Samaria, dot, dot, dot. So, um, the word church, like I say, is usually used to refer to a group of Christians in one particular locale, but it can also be used to refer to all Christians of all ages, the universal church. So, for example, you've got um, Ephesians 5.25, really well-known text It's the one with husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the ecclesia and gave himself for her. So that's not a reference to the church in Ephesus. It's a reference to Christ gave himself for the whole body of believers from all ages. And um, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 as well. There are some references where we see the word ecclesia used to refer to all Christians of all ages. So fundamentally, this is what I'm getting at. The word ecclesia is used in the New Testament for the coming together of the people of God, the assembly of the people of God. It usually refers to a local church community, like Winnem Baptist, if you like, Wynn and Baptist ecclesia, but it can sometimes be used in reference to the universal church. It's actually more similar to the word um, congregation in English, church In english is kind of a bit misleading because we usually use it in reference to to a building Um, but yeah it's more it's more got the sense of congregation what is the church not what is the what does the word ecclesia not mean in the new testament it does not mean one person or one household i think that's fairly obvious but i have had arguments with people who have said to me i am the church And I had to say to, I remember this one bloke, saying very, he was very adamant, I am the church. I had To say to him, no, you are not the church. You are a believer. You are not, the church is an assembly. It's a group, it's a coming together of believers. We can't just make our own meanings for words. You're not allowed. You're just not allowed to do that. Like learn the language, it's the way it works. It does not mean building. So, in the first century of course they didn 't have buildings set aside for, uh, for ibada what 's the word ibadah worship sorry i 'm still coming back to english um, i't they used they met in houses they started meeting in, in church buildings in the fourth century. It does not mean the church at one time. So very often we talk about the early church. Well, actually, that's not a, a right use of the word ecclesia, because the word ecclesia is never used in relation to the church in one period of time. But let's just roll with the yeah, we'll we'll still use the phrase early church because we don't have anything better. But it doesn't mean that if we're being technical. And during the Protestant Reformation. So, one of the questions that came up about 10 years ago, it rears its head every now and then, but it it seemed to come to, um, what's the word? Like a um, peak, thank you, Um, about 10 years ago, again, is what is a church, like in the sense that, is a home group a church? Like what's the difference between a home group and a church like this? Uh, how How do you distinguish between the two? Because in a home group, of course, you've got a group of believers coming together and so forth. And this is not a new question. It was one of the questions during the the Reformation, for different reasons. Um, But during the the Reformation, the Protestant Reformers, they argued that there are three marks of a local church, which are the preaching of the Word of God, the celebration of the sacraments or the ordinances and the exercise of church discipline, which is why a cell group is not a church. A cell group is under the wider church body, if that makes sense. It's under the discipline of the the body of elders and deacons or however that's defined in different uh, congregations. So those, those are the marks, just in case you're interested, they're the marks according to Protestantism, and you can take it up with the Protestant reformers if you don't like that. Um, so, let's go on. That's what the word ecclesia means. I hope it's fairly straightforward. It means a, a, a mob of believers, essentially. Mob of believers, there you go. You're not going to find that in a theology textbook. <laughs> so, I'll click, um, click. So, that's so what it means. What did an early church fellowship look like? What did it look like? Um... Technically, according to most theologians, the church started, when did it actually start? Um, Most theologians would argue that the church started officially on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And so, in Acts chapter 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2, what we've got is a description of a very early church fellowship and i thought it was a text that was worth us delving into today so that we can see what a very early church actually looked like so this is the text acts 2 verse 42 to 47 uh it's up there on the screen i will just read it out this is what it says they devoted themselves so these are all these new believers we we probably know the text peter's been preaching all these people have just come to the lord they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, all these believers. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, not by everyone, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So um, this is when the church was made, so to speak. And it's it's, the reason why I've got a picture of a little sprouting tree here, we'll talk about that in a sec, but it's essentially when the the tree uh, of the church first sprouts up Um, It's where it's first spreading. It's an amazing picture. You've got the Spirit coming down on all these people. 3,000 people come to the Lord, and then uh, we've got this passage describing what their fellowship looked like. Oh dear, my thing's not working. Okay. Um, There's a lot that we could say about this text. I want to draw out two observations. It's a really well-known text. It's probably not anything new, but two observations... Uh, For us today. The first one is that the distinguishing characteristics of this early church fellowship were four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching, apostles' teaching, rather, which we have nowadays in the Scriptures. They devoted themselves to the Word of God, To fellowship to the fellowship and the word of course is koinonia the the emphasis there is on relationship they devoted themselves to these things to the breaking of bread and that uh, seems to have been an early uh, church way of referring to the lord's supper and so they were all about remembering actively remembering the gospel They were bringing that to mind continually. And then finally, to prayer. They were praying. Um, And these four things were the distinguishing characteristics of this group of believers. And notice, they weren't doing them. Just doing them. They were devoted to them. And so, it wasn't that they were kind of dragging their feet and saying, okay, I've got to pray. In Indonesian, there's this horrible phrase, kawajibanagama, which means religious obligations, which I think it's made its way into the Bible as well, which drives me insane, but that's another conversation. It's made its way into the church, and I think it's come in from Islam, because there's all these religious obligations in Islam. Uh, you've got to pray and all this stuff. Um, and it's, it's made its way into the church as well, and I hate it, because we do not obey just because of obligation, We are obligated to love and pray and and be devoted to the fellowship and all that kind of thing. We are obligated in one sense, that is our identity. But if we are obeying just because because of obligation, that's a tragedy. Imagine if I said to Amy, you know, um, when's your birthday? November. Later, November. Happy birthday. Here's a bunch of flowers. And she says to me, why do you give me these flowers? And I say to her, well, I have to. I'm your husband. Obligation. How is she going to react to that? And yet that is the language that is so frequently used in the Indonesian church about uh, kata'atan, obedience, obedience. It's terrible. Like we don't obey just because of... That's a tragedy. And so anyway, these people were not doing these things just out of, you know, this obligatory harus, I have to do these things. They wanted to, there was a desire, there was a heart. Verse 46, every day that they continue to meet, they break bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, when we read the book of Acts, it's really important to interpret it well, rightly, according to its genre. There are lots of people that run into interpretive difficulties when they read Acts because they read it as a blueprint for how we're meant to be living Nowadays, and they run into a lot of issues when they, they, they read passages like this and so forth, so forth, and they think that, okay, we've got to sell everything and give everything away, and they run into even bigger theological issues when they read passages about speaking in tongues and so on. It's really important to realize that the genre of Acts is not a set of prescriptions, a set of imperatives, telling us, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. This is the ideal of every church in every age. That's not what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is a description. It's a historical account of what actually happened in the first century. And it is deeply encouraging. It's amazing what happened in the first century, but we cannot read it through the lens of this is what we have to do as well. But with that said, each of these four things that were the distinguishing characteristics of the early church, it is so clear throughout God's Word that each of these four things are meant to be distinguishing characteristics for God's people in every age. So we are called to be people who are devoted to the Word of God, who are devoted to the fellowship, which has been hard during COVID, I know, but to be devoted to the fellowship, to be devoted to remembering, bringing to mind who Jesus is and what He's done for us, and be devoted to prayer, calling on Him to move. And so, I think it's worth when we read a text like this, it's worth just taking a couple of moments and checking, I guess, our church, but also ourselves individually. How am I going with this? Am I? Is this a description of my? Like if if there if there was someone who was to write the four distinguishing characteristics of our fellowship, or my life, what would they be? Would it be being devoted to the Scriptures or being devoted to YouTube or television? (laughs) It's it's worth wrestling with that. Uh, Anyway, that's one observation from this text. The other one that I wanted to draw out is that in verse 47... Uh, we read that the Lord added daily to their numbers. I love reading that. It's so encouraging. The Lord added daily, added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's worth noting that there's all these kind of evangelism programs and courses and church growth books and missions books and so on. There's local missions, global missions, church programs for the young and old, and, and all of these things have value, of course. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus who has established his church. It's Jesus who will grow his church, Matthew 16. It's Jesus who is the head of the church. It's Jesus who's the great shepherd. And it's Jesus who's the king over the kingdom. And I take real encouragement from this because um, when, like we, we all, I'm sure, have got people in our lives and we just desperately long to see them come to the Lord, right? Like we we want to see lots of people come to the Lord, of course. But we've, I'm guessing we've all got people in our lives and we are just desperate to see this family member, this friend, this person come to the Lord. And the reason why we can sleep at night is because at the end of the day, He is the Lord of the harvest. Like He's in charge. He will bring people to Himself. And He is trustworthy. So we don't give up and we don't grow anxious. We share, we share Christ in the power of the spirit and we leave the results to God. That's what evangelism is. And we know that he is always doing a billion times more than we know about. So much more than we know about in our lives and in the life of the person that you so desperately want to see come to the Lord. He brought daily new believers into their fellowship, their ecclesia. And he's at work in Winham and Indonesia Um, let's go on to the next one there's just a couple of observations about that church Um, the church is growing I was talking to Andrew a couple of weeks ago now I think about how yeah the church is growing and um, the church can be described as a like if you want to use a picture can be described as a tree it started off as this little sapling I don't know if you shared this last week you did a little bit, I'll share in it again. Um, so it starts off as this little uh, sprouting thing in Acts chapter 2, and then it grows and it grows and it grows throughout the centuries. And now, if you want to use the picture of a tree, it's like this massive big old tree, and it doesn't look anything like where it started, for the record. Which is why we don't have to keep looking back to Acts and saying, we have to be 100% like those guys and, you know, speak aramaic or whatever like where do you draw the line with that i'm always it never makes sense to me why there are people who say the early church is the ideal like have you read first corinthians they were so stuffed up anyway let's not go there um the church is growing now it does look similar because it's the same life-giving vine right It's the the same Lord is giving life to his church. It's the same shepherd over it. But at the same time, it looks different. And this branch will look different from this branch. And this leaf will look different from this leaf. And it's amazing. And the thing about a tree is if you stare at a tree, it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. It just seems like it's, it's just, you know, there. But if you come back in a few years, it's grown. It's bigger. Stronger. Its, its roots have gone deeper. It's got more fruit. It's amazing. And that's what is happening with the church all over the world. Like, all over the world. Let's pray together. Father, um, uh, what a privilege it is to be part of your church, the body of believers. Um, Father, we, we know that you chose us before the world was created, um, And you've sent Jesus to save us. And um, and Jesus, the great shepherd of the church, is still at work. And Father, we're we're so grateful to be a part of uh, the work that you're doing. And Father, we want to be used so much. And so, Father, we pray that for each of us, the opportunities that you're giving us to be involved in your um, making of your church. Father, we pray that you... use us and help us to see where we can be involved and father where we're um, called to be involved and perhaps we we feel that we don't have the um, ability or the uh, courage or whatever it is father we pray that you'd um, help us to be um, courageous in loving and in sharing we pray that you'd give us wisdom to love and share well in the church and with those who are not yet in the church. Father, as we think about the, the picture of the church in Acts 2, Father, we we I just we want to be people like that. And so we pray that you would continue to stir in our hearts a deepening devotion for your word and for each other and for the gospel and for prayer. Yeah, Father, we pray this for um, the sake of Jesus' name being lifted high around here and through the world. Yeah, and we pray this yeah, in his name. Amen.